Good evening to you. We're going to notice together quickly uh, this evening seven virtues that we can carry with us wherever we go. Seven virtues. Seven virtues that will help us in our, our walk with God. We assume that that is our ultimate goal is to please our Lord. So we'll get right into these uh, seven virtues, and, and there are many more that, of course, that could be uh, mentioned, and your list might be uh, much better uh, than mine, but we'll, we'll notice these together. First, there is, um, there is wisdom. There is wisdom, the virtue of wisdom. The Bible says so very much about wisdom. You probably remember some of it, like Proverbs uh, 1 and 7. Uh, says that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We know that James in James 1.5 says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him do what? Let him ask of God uh, who gives to all uh, liberally. Proverbs 19.8 actually says that he that gets wisdom loves his own soul. So that's a great thing to look and search for wisdom, and it's found in God and, and in the Scriptures. And I want you to look at one with me here. Uh, Proverbs 8, verse 11, as you take time to open up your Bible uh, this evening. Look at Proverbs 8 and verse 11. And notice what it says about wisdom. It says one thing. It says that wisdom, getting wisdom, true wisdom from God, is better than rubies, very expensive things. Okay. And then uh, it says that it is better than anything... that you could possibly uh, desire. Notice it specifically uh, with me. For wisdom is better than rubies, Proverbs 8, verse 11, and all the things that may be desired. Now stop and think about that. All the things that may be desired are not to be compared unto it. You've got a pretty big imagination, so do I. All the things that could be desired. What if we put all of our heads together and think about all the things we might want from this life? Whatever that list is, the wisdom from God is better than that. So wisdom is definitely a virtue that we need to, to carry with us. I think about Solomon in 1 Kings 3, and, and God said, what would you... Ask of me. Solomon is getting ready to, to take over the reins and rule the, the country, rule the nation. Solomon said, I, I need an understanding heart. I need wisdom. And this thrilled the heart of God. It thrilled God to no, to no end. God said, because you have asked this and you have not asked these other things. And God said, because you didn't ask for long life for yourself, because you did not ask for riches for yourself, and because you did not ask for the life of your enemies. I'm so very pleased with you, Solomon. Now think about that. Asking for wisdom, but also notice that God is pleased when we don't ask for certain other things, like long life and riches and the lives of our enemies. So very good. Now... We might ask God and say, God, I want the wisdom, wisdom to make more money. We might ask God and say, God, I want the wisdom to make more friends. But the best thing to do is ask God and say, God, I want the wisdom to help other people come to know Jesus. 
That's what I want, Lord. Proverbs 11:30 says that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that wins souls is wise. Mark that carefully. Proverbs 11 and 30. He that wins souls is wise. That's what I want from God. I, I want to better know what to say, how to say it, how to act, so that I can influence others for our Lord Jesus. Have you looked at your feet lately? I can't believe that a few years ago, guys started wearing sandals, showing their feet. Nothing, nothing impressive there at all. Nothing. Have you looked at your feet lately? What do your toes look like? Jelly beans, rejected jelly beans at best. But notice what Paul says in Romans 10 and, and 15. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good tidings of good news, glad tidings of good news, actually. How beautiful are the feet. That's how God looks at it. So wisdom, wisdom. The second virtue that we want to mention is one that goes right along with it, and that is understanding, understanding. If wisdom means to think and to say and do what is right according to God and save yourself a lot of trouble, then Understanding simply is, is the door that opens us up uh, to the Scripture. It's like a door. Understanding is like a door. It opens us up to the Scripture, and that opens us up to, uh, really, salvation. Jesus gave the parable of the, of the sower. You remember Matthew 13, 23. He said, he said the good and honest heart is the heart that, that hears the Word and then understands the word, and then from that brings forth fruit. It takes both of those things, the hearing and the understanding. In the same chapter, Matthew 13, 15, says, Jesus says, watch the condition of your heart so that you can hear and understand, you can turn from your sin, and then I can heal you. But if you have a hard heart, he says, then I can't heal you because you won't turn from your sin. But if you understand and you turn, Matthew 13, 15, then I will heal you. We need the healing because of our sin. We need that spiritual healing. So understanding is a virtue that we need to take uh, with us everywhere. There's one psalm I want us to mention. Psalm, psalm 119, 104. Psalm 119 and, and 104. You know 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 104 says... Uh, David says, uh, through your precepts, God, I get understanding and I hate every false way. That's, that's why we need to carry understanding with us. Because it's through God's word that we get the understanding and God's word helps us to know what to hate and what to love. And we hate every false, every false way. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 17, be not foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. A lot of people seek a lot of understanding, but they're going the wrong way with it. They, they seek those things. Like Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 9, 23 and 24, he says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But he says, 
if you, if you want to think about something to, to be proud of, if you want to think about something to glory in, to talk about, glory in the fact that you understand me, the Lord, that you understand my ways, you understand my loving kindness, my mercy, and my long-suffering. Okay, that's what you rejoice in. That's a better word there. Don't rejoice in your riches. Don't rejoice in, in your mighty, mighty works. Okay. Don't, don't rejoice in your wisdom, but rejoice in the fact that you know the Lord. So carry with us wisdom from God and also understanding of God. And our third uh, virtue is insight. Insight. The third virtue is insight. Insight means to be able to see things other people can't see. And we as Christians ought, ought to be doing that all the time. Not that we don't want other people to understand, but you're not going to understand unless you're following the ways of God. Having insight means that you're able to see what most do not see. That's an important virtue. How do you get that? Well, you remember the most important things in life. You keep the big picture in mind like Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek you first. Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness you get insight that way. You get insight because you keep your heart open. You keep your Bible open, your heart open. That always brings insight. But the main thing, let's be turning over to 1 John 2. Specifically, John says, here's how you keep your spiritual vision alive and well. 1 John, 1 John 2, the paragraph is verses 7 to 11. Looking down to 1 John 2. Start in verse 9, 1 John 2, verse 9. He that says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness even unto now. He that loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in the darkness, and he walks in the darkness, and he knows not where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The key thing about insight is that you learn to love like God loves. If we learn to love like God loves, then we'll always have an insight that no one else has. There's no replacement. No replacement. No replacement for an open heart. No replacement. No substitute for keeping the big picture in mind. But also no substitute whatsoever uh, for love. Loving God and loving one another as God loves us. So insight, insight is very important. And our next virtue, having noticed uh, these three, wisdom, understanding, and insight, let's notice also this little word we call discretion. Discretion, to be discreet. What does that mean, uh, discretion? Well, one definition is that you're able to say something difficult without causing undue offense. Okay. Able to say a difficult thing without causing undue offense. Now when it comes to the Lord, it comes to the church, it comes to the gospel, there must be offense. There's no way around it. The gospel strikes right at our heart. It strikes right at our will. It strikes right at our sins. And so to think that we're going to come to know the Lord without being offended by him and by his word is, is just not it's just not real. 
But discretion is trying to communicate the will of God without causing undue. Now, some offense is due, but without causing undue offense. I think about Jesus' example there in John 8 when he's teaching in the temple early one morning and they bring a woman in who's been caught in the very act of adultery. And they say, they say, they say, the, the law says she ought to be stoned. What do you say? What do you say, you teacher? What do you say? And of course, you remember Jesus. He stooped down. He rode on the ground, took his time, very patient with these men. But eventually he says, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, those accusers left that room and Jesus looked up at the woman. Nobody else is there, just he and the woman now. He said, where are your accusers? Does no man condemn you? She said, no man. And he said, Neither do I go your way and sin no more. Look how beautifully Jesus handled that otherwise very fiery situation. And that's what we want to learn. I believe the best way of learning that is just to read, read, and reread Jesus because Jesus was constantly thrown in the midst of a, a lot of storms and just to watch him as he patiently asked questions, he patiently used God's law uh, to show people the way of truth. Now, this morning we looked at a little lesson. We simply called God, God Speaks Today. And some of what we said this morning is found in this, this booklet here. Brother Jerry Jenkins from Birmingham. Jerry has passed away uh, a few years ago. But his booklet here that he used again and again and again in talking to people about the Lord Jesus and the gospel, they're still printing these, and we have several of these. Okay. I highly recommend this booklet. I've had more success in bringing people to Christ with this booklet than I have any of the others, and there's a lot of good ones out there. And so I want you to know about that. You want to, you want to be effective. You want to be a person of discretion. You can't just be silent and say nothing, but there are tools out there that can help us to show the gospel, show our sins, show how that we're in need of Jesus, but do it in a way that, um, that everybody can understand. The best way to be discreet is to try to leave yourself out of conversations and simply let the Bible do its own talking. And so this virtue here, number four, the virtue of discretion. And then one of my favorite is the virtue of initiative. Initiative. I think there's a great, great need, and, and I would hope that as our young people are heading into the world and they're getting serious about the Lord God, that they will take this to heart. Initiative. Initiative. What does it mean to be to have initiative? It means to do what is right, to do what is right without being told. That's it to do what is right without being told to do it. Okay. That's huge. That's huge. And that is proclaimed here in our Bibles, in the New Testament especially. Okay. Now, as a young man comes of age, when he's younger and he's, he's, he gets accustomed, accustomed to watching his dad do a lot of the chores around the house, and 
before long, he, he starts thinking, you know, I can do some of that. I think I'll just, I think I'll just do some of that while dad's away at work. I think I'll just do that. I started doing that when I was younger. I would watch, I would watch my dad and, and his brother and, and we had a lot of uh, oak trees, gum trees, and it filled our gutters on the houses. And my grandmother and another neighbor lady and my dad and his brother constantly cleaning out gutters. And I got to an age where I thought, I can do that. My only mistake was I didn't tell anybody I was going to do it. You know, I was only about 11 years old. But I thought, I can get the ladder. I can clean out. I cleaned out these gutters. But the idea here is to take an initiative. Take an initiative. Without doing something without being told, parents long for that day when they don't have to tell their children to be right and do right and instruct them, but rather they just do it on their own. We long for the day, parents do, when our children are wanting to do right, they want to do God's will without being told. That's, that's our goal as parents, as teachers, church leaders. That's our goal. Take an initiative. Now, what do you think of when you think about taking an initiative? course, you go to Proverbs, you look at Proverbs uh, chapter 6, and you look at the ant. Have you read this lately? Proverbs 6, the virtue of initiative, and our writer here brings up the ants. Proverbs 6 and verse 6, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, who, having no chief, notice this, the ant's the ants don't have a chief, they don't have an overseer, they don't have a ruler, but they provide, they provide bread in the summer, they gather their food in the harvest. How long will you sleep, O slugger? What will, when will you arise out of your sleep? Yet a little sleep, yet a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, and so shall your poverty come. But he said, go to the ant. You ever seen an ant sunbathing? You ever seen an ant just taking it easy? No coffee shops in the ant world. It's amazing to, to, to watch them work. And God says, go to the ant. No chief, no ruler, no overseer. There they go. That's exactly what God expects of us. And that's exactly what we see in those early disciples we read about in the New Testament. Think about Paul in Acts 17 and verse 16. And He's waiting there in Athens. Okay. What's he going to do? He's waiting for Timothy and Silas to come and join him. And he looked around and his spirit was stirred within him because he saw the city of Athens wholly given to idolatry. He found him himself a synagogue. Nobody had to tell him. Of course not. They didn't have to tell him. Nobody had to tell him, I'm going into this synagogue here and I'm going to start trying to teach the gospel. And then he found himself a, a marketplace. And then from there, he went to another place there in Athens. Before long, he was fully engaged. He didn't have to wait for somebody to call and say, hey, you might ought to try to do some good there in Athens. He took the initiative and he did it uh, himself. That's, that's what God expects of us. I think this is, if, this, if, if there was one I was going to put a star by tonight, this is it right here. This is, this is our highlight, initiative. Personal initiative. We don't have to wait to be told. We shouldn't be waiting to be told to do something for the Lord. We've already been told. We've already been told. 
Now, go to Mark 16, and verse 15, and, and we have done an in-depth study on Mark 16, 15. I'm going to tell you, we have done an in-depth study. Okay, are you looking at me? We have done an in-depth study on Mark 16:15. We've looked, we've looked, me and a few other uh, well-known experts. Okay. We have looked closely at the word "go" there, and here it is. Here's the conclusion. You know what it means? It means go. It means go. And these same experts have have dug underneath the surface of the word "all" there in in Mark 16:15, and guess what? You know what that means? It means all the world. It means every bit of it. See, we've already been told. We've already been told. We don't have to wait around okay, for someone to say, you need to be doing this or you don't need to be doing that. Okay. Can you imagine if, if a doctor has the, the straightforward cure for cancer? Is he going to have to be told, well, you need to spread the news about that? You, know, you might ought to share that news. You ought, you ought to share your facts. He's not going to... He, if he has any sense, he's, not going to, he's going to take the initiative. He's going to spread that news. And we have the best news ever. We have the beautiful feet. We will take the initiative as God has told us to do. You know, it's already late. It's already late. The, the starting pistol has already been fired. We're already behind the devil. We can't afford to wait. We must take the initiative at every opportunity that we have. It must be a personal initiative. It must be a personal call out of the gospel to our hearts. And we must, we must do as the Lord says. Romans 13 and 12 says, The night is far spent and the day is at hand. That's what he means. He says we're way behind. The darkness is at work. We need to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's what Paul says in Romans 13, verse, verse 12. Okay. We're, when we wake up every morning, we're behind. And we've got to be in somewhat of a panic mood trying to find a way to share the gospel. Initiative, initiative. A couple other virtues that we want to leave with ourselves. And the next one would be Creativity. Creativity. What I mean by creativity is making the most of what you have. Making the most of what you have. This is definitely a biblical uh, principle. It's something that we will need as we travel through life, especially in the church. Especially in the church. Okay. Making the best of what you have. I, I've been around this congregation for a few years. We're still standing. Definitely. This congregation has made the best of what they have. Okay. I mean, to have such a, let me spell it out to you. To have such a sorry, low-down preacher and still be able to do good works. You have made the best of what you have. Okay. That's creativity. Jesus did it. Think about the, think about the apostles that he had how much good he was able to do through them, and their understanding was way behind. Most of the time, they were way behind. The two principal people in the book of Acts is Peter and Paul. Peter denied the Lord, and Paul killed a lot of the Lord's people before uh, they got right, but God used them, used them powerfully. 
studying these conversions lately in the book of Acts, you, you see like Acts 16 that we are in uh, this morning. Uh, there Paul is out there by, by the riverside with a, with a group of ladies. Okay? But they made the most of what they had. They didn't have any what they have. They had, they had the scriptures. They had a group of ladies. They, had, they were religious. They wanted to learn. And before long, uh, the church in Philippi uh, got underway through the conversion of Lydia and her household. And same thing in the jail. In the jail. What a place to do evangelism there. They made the most of what. What did they have? Okay. They, they had beaten Paul and Silas. They had thrown them into prison. They, they, they've got chains on them. They've got wounds. But that didn't keep them from singing out. Didn't keep them from praying. Didn't keep them from praying to God. God intervened there. And they, they made the most of what they had. When we decide to do that, the Lord will always step in. If we trust Him, make the most of what we have, do our dead level best with what we have, the Lord always intervenes, no matter what the situation is. And then our final is the one, humility. Humility. These seven virtues, wisdom, understanding, insight, Discretion, initiative, creativity, and it's only right that we end with humility. How would you define humility? It's to have the lowly mind that we're to have through the eyes of God. Not just to be lowly, but to be lowly in the eyes of God, from the standpoint of God. Paul helps us with this, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and Seven, he says, um, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. Now, he that plants is what? Nothing. He that waters is nothing. God gives increase. So you have found who you are right there in 1 Corinthians 3. You are nothing. I am nothing. We start right there. We start right there. God will take care of us. If we can stay right there with that lowliness of mind, God will always bless us. He will always take care of us, no matter come what may. Creativity, humility. I think one of the best things to do to keep humility is to look at eternity. To look at eternity. Suppose you're on a plane, and the plane is going down, and you offer another guy, you offer him a parachute. He says, no, I'm just going to enjoy the plane ride. He's not going to take the parachute. That guy needs to be impressed with what's happening. So you would need to probably take that fellow who refused to parachute, take him by the heels and hang him out the plane door if you can. And so you see this? You see what's happening? You need this parachute. Okay. Guys, for all of us, eternity is is ahead of us. We're, we're, we're in it. We're on that track. We're all headed toward eternity. It's just a matter of where. Okay. Sometimes we need to be held by our toes, dangled over the side of a building or something so we can wake up and see that eternity is before us and how to keep us humble before God. These seven virtues, may we take them with us. May we use them to glorify our God. If you have a need this evening that we can study about, we can pray about, we can learn more, uh, please make that known right now as we stand together, as we sing.